Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Thanks for downloading episode two, three-part series with Jeff Davis, author of the new book, Create Togetherness, which is all about aligning sales and marketing to drive revenue. We've got three copies of his book to give away, and we're going to tell you how to get one at the end of the third episode, the final in this three-part series. Jeff, welcome back to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. Eric, thank you for having me. Now, talk to us about the four common sales and marketing configurations that, uh, you know, you, that you see and that um, are mentioned in your book. Yeah, sure. So I thought it was important to help us uh, think through and understand that not every sales and marketing configuration is the same. Not every sales and marketing relationship is the same. And one of the reasons that I did, put this research in the book, it's Professor, uh, Professor Mulsh, uh, his work, uh, was because I kept getting questions specifically from marketing leaders uh, about how they could better interact with their sales leaders. But what I noticed in those conversations, a lot of times it would be they don't understand what we do or my CEO won't allow us to do some of the more strategic projects. And they all kind of came from a different perspective, or it was a team of one, and they really wanted to do larger projects, but really were seen more as order takers or website updaters from sales. And so it, it perked my interest to understand how, how could we look at the, the interface between sales and marketing in a really thoughtful way so that we could determine where we are and if this is a good jumping off point for us to really start to strategically align. And so what, what uh, Professor Mulsh work uh, has shown us that are, there are four different configurations, sales marketing configurations, uh, and I'll give you just kind of a, a brief highlight of what they are uh, so that we kind of understand uh, what they are. And so they increase in marketing maturity. The first is hidden marketing. And this is stereotypically, you may have a CEO and a sales leader, stereotypically a smaller organization doesn't have marketing headcount and really uh, it's kind of always in firefighting mode and, and, and sales is really paramount, right? So this is your startup, this is your SMB that doesn't have a marketing headcount. Uh, and so all of the marketing, quote unquote marketing, is really either done by the CEO or the sales leader and they're usually reactionary to something that somebody asked for. Uh, there's no strategic value really to it. It's just like, oh, we need this, oh, we need a website, oh, we need this, so very reactionary uh, and it just really created basically to get a deal closed. The second configuration is what's called the sales-driven marketing. And that really is where, uh, you know, and I'll say this in the nicest way, marketing is seen as order takers. So this is the organization values the sales organization more than marketing. They don't see the strategic value in marketing. And so a lot of times they are doing things that sales folks don't have time for. They may be updating the website. They may be creating uh, sales content. But they're really not able to uh, apply their strategic uh, abilities to the organization. Many times you may have more junior marketers or again, they're just a limited team and they are seen again more as the things that salespeople can't do, we'll give it to marketing. Case in point, uh, getting us ready for a trade show. Uh, salespeople are out in the field on the phones, they don't have time, marketing is in charge of doing this, of the trade show. The third configuration is living apart together. Um, this is where a good number of organizations that I interact with uh, in, when I'm consulting uh, sit. And this is your stereotypical, we have two, two mature teams. Uh, you have a sales leader, you have a marketing leader, they have a team that are, that are, that are functioning between them. And so they are, they are siloed, but they acknowledge each other. So there's no information transfer. They're not really working together. 
Um, they have the different priorities, sometimes competing priorities, and there's no real relationship. And so you literally just have a marketing function, a sales function, uh, and there's no unified vision across, across all of those. And then the fourth, not, uh, fourth but the ideal state we want to be in is that aligned sales and marketing organization where they actually operate as a revenue engine. So they have a unified vision, the, they share resources, they are communicating on a regular basis, they're sharing information back and forth in order to make both of them better. And they're also open to learning from each other. Uh, and so there's pros and cons to each one of these configurations, but one, one of the reasons I put it in the book is I want sales and marketing leaders to be able to have a conversation and sit down to be able to understand what configuration that they sit in. Uh, one of the reasons I say that is that, you know, if you are a sales-driven marketing organization, you may need to do some work to get the headcounts you need to build out a, an actual marketing team before you really do this complete sales and marketing alignment transformation. And one of the reasons is, is that uh, as a marketing leader, if you don't have the social credibility of the organization from the sales team, from the sales leader, it's going to be more difficult for you to do the things that are necessary in order to really transform the relationship. And so ideally, uh, you want to be in that living apart together phase stage uh, before you really take on the work that it needs to do in order to transform your organization. It is, is it a progressive model? Like, like, is it possible to just leapfrog living apart together and go straight from hidden marketing to aligned? Or is it really step by step? Well, it's really step by step because if you look at the true definition of hidden marketing, that literally is you have no marketing headcount at all. Uh, it literally is a sales leader uh, and a CEO or that, that the founder and CEO all in one person. And so there really is no marketing representation there. And so the model really is progressive, uh, progressively uh, the marketing function gets more mature. And so what I argue in the book is that you don't want to try to align sales and marketing before marketing has enough maturity to be able to have credibility with the sales leader. Because the last thing you want to do is have a tenured sales leader and have a more junior marketer and try to put them in the same room because they don't see themselves as peers. And that more junior marketer may not have the experience and the, the wherewithal to understand how to create that, to co-create that strategic vision, that strategic plan. And so I, I, I obviously nothing is impossible, but I think that you, you may be setting yourself up for a much harder transition than if you have an established marketing leader that has a team and can come to the table as equals with the sales leader. Let, let's talk for a minute about the, you know, the tools, the modern tools that sales marketing and service support uses to align. And I, I'd be curious to know when you're sort of coming into a company and doing maybe a, an initial diagnostic, um, how is, you know, tech stack adoption a sign of sort of where the company is on the sales marketing configuration uh, model? In, in what way? Well, do you find that, you know, hidden marketing doesn't tend to have a CRM? You know, they tend to have marketing automation by the time they're living apart together. Could, could you take a look at the tech stack and make some sort of um, uh, conclusions about uh, how advanced they are on this progressive model? Potentially, but I'd be careful to, to use that as an indicator of where they are. Um, I mean, you have organizations that are living apart together and have a really advanced uh, tech stack. Now, it may not necessarily be an aligned tech stack, 
uh, but they're using really advanced, you know, marketing automation. They may be using, you know, dynamic lead scoring. They may be, you know, recording calls, but they really don't have a relationship, a strategic relationship uh, across across the aisle, so to say. So I think um, those your tech stack is not necessarily an indicator of where they are on the spectrum of their the sales sales marketing um, interface, um, but it it if you look at it, it is usually indicative of how sales and marketing interact. But as far as like their configuration, I'd be careful to make that uh, that assumption um, just by virtue that you have people that fall in that same configuration that uh, have a very vast, or sorry, I should say, a, a vastly different uh, approach to their uh, what I argue and say is the revenue uh, revenue success. So then, poor adoption is not a sign of poor alignment. I don't. I think that's purely a a culture and a strategy thing because uh, you know you have organizations all that all that fall within uh, the living apart together that are really advanced and get it and have high adherence and in that same configuration you may have somebody that literally just got a CRM um, and they just you know the salespeople have been doing their thing for decades and just have not seen the need to have a CRM but they have two you know independent functions that that operate and they do it by paper or however they do it. Um, so I'd be careful to make that. I've seen, uh, and this is what I argue to leaders about, is you know, to me, the strategy and why you're using technology is more important than the, 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 the tech stack that you've, that you've adopted. Because there's people that have really advanced tech stacks but you know, may not be using them in the right way. Or to your point earlier, their adoption is terrible. What about integration? Would that be a sign of uh you know, good or bad alignment, how well these different tools, marketing automation, uh, CRM, sales enablement platform, um, whether or not they're well integrated and well reports in place that sort of um, take all that data into one common scorecard so that you can manage against it based on the intersections and the overlaps of those data sets. I mean, would that, like, would you ever come into an organization that maybe has an advanced tech stack that is or isn't organ, uh, integrated and, and use integration as a way to find the data um, to make the case for alignment? Or if you went in and the data was already there, would you expect that they'd already acted on it? Any, any experience there you can share with us? Yeah, so from the integration standpoint, I think that if you do have a more integrated uh, sales marketing tech stack, that definitely is an ind indicator. Uh, that the teams at least have a relationship and, and, and understand the importance of uh, being aligned with their counterpart. Uh, the, only, the only part that I step back is uh, we have to remember that what I'm arguing in Create Togetherness is that we have to have a strategic alignment, right? So even if we are tactically aligned and our, our information flows through, do sales and marketing fundamentally understand how they interact together and are they going to market in the same way? So I think those are all great things, but the, the, the first question I would ask before going and diving into uh, making any recommendations on tech is, what is our strategy? Are we aligned? Is the strategy correct? Because I think once that is solidified and that is, that's our foundation, all those other things will fall into place much easier. Now, you write that um, at aligned companies, you know, one of the dangers is that groupthink can sort of set in as team members develop strong interpersonal skills. Does collaborative decision making slow the organization down? It, it, I mean, it can if not managed properly, right? Like one of the, the things that we're seeing with buyers now is that the, they're, they're, there's mostly consensus based 
uh, decision making and it's making our sales cycles longer because you have to get everybody on the same page. Uh, I, you know, obviously think that, you know, alliance of the marketing team and revenue engine is, is great and amazing, but we also, you know, have to be careful that as we start to work more closely together and we start to, you know, cross pollinate ideas and we, you know, start to become, you know, have better relationships professionally, personally, that sort of thing that we, we don't get so where we all think the same way. Um, and so it's just, you have to manage that by, you know, looking outside the organization, looking at what other people are doing just to make sure that, you know, you're doing the right things. And so as long as you're thoughtful, thoughtful about it and, 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 and you know, the, the last thing you want to do is get in a meeting uh, and, and it gets to a point where everybody's friends and they just say yes because it's their friends. I think you have to create a, cl- uh, uh, a culture that it's okay to challenge uh, people and, and that, you know, the best ideas win, not the, the, the people, but it really is about the ideas. And if you do it that way, I think that will help combat um, that group think that potentially could come through working so closely together. We're talking to Jeff Davis. He's the author of the new book, Create Togetherness. This is episode two of a three-part series. And when we come back, we're going to talk about feedback loops and breaking down silos. Stay with us. Dear parents, much of what we learn in this world comes directly from you. Whatever your message is, it will become part of us forever. Please teach us to accept one another. Teach us to respect one another. Please, do not fill our minds with hatred. Do not expose us to bigotry. Do not teach us to judge each other by race, religion, orientation, or the color of our skin. Teach us the concept of tolerance. Teach us to understand one another. Teach us to accept people of different cultures and persons with different beliefs than yours. Please help us to create a world where every man, woman, and child is treated equally. Dear parents, please don't teach us words of hate. We learn from you every moment. If you use a certain word, which might be hurtful to others, we will repeat that word. Please don't show us acts of hate. If you act against people of different faiths, we will repeat your actions. Dear parents, we are your children, and we are relying on you to help us create a world where every person is tolerant of one another. We're talking to Jeff Davis, author of the new book, Create Togetherness. Now, Jeff, in your book, you write about the importance of feedback loops to alignment strategy. How does that work in practice? And can you give us any examples of feedback loops you've seen work out really well? Yeah, so it's important that we tap into the tribal knowledge that these groups have. Um, there is a wealth of information experience within sales, within marketing. And if you have those two teams not really in a, in a, in a formalized way feeding each other information, what happens is if we start to make decisions without the whole picture. And so what I, what I argue in the book is that we have to start formalizing a way to get information from sales to marketing. So typically we have systems set up to get information from marketing and sales. Usually strategy comes from the, the marketing, the head of marketing, and they roll that out to the team. But more often than not, there's not a way to get feedback from sales back to uh, the marketing team. And I don't mean just from sales leaders. I mean actually frontline salespeople. And so uh, there's a number of different ways that you can do that. You know, simple things like having the marketing leader actually sit in on calls, go out in the field, listen to that, and have conversations with, with salespeople. What that does is it, it untaps that tribal knowledge. And so you may have somebody have something happen in the territory in North Dakota, 
and then have something happen in the territory in Florida or whatnot. And, and, as, and if we're talking, we can say, hey, I think this is something that is going to affect all of us globally. Let's figure out what that means and then put some things behind that. But if we're not talking on a regular basis, um, you know, we may miss that and it may, we may be late to the party. And so one of the things that formalizing that feedback loop does, it, it allows you to set a, a structured cadence that you get together and talk uh, and really share ideas and make sure that you understand what's going on in business. And I don't mean just having me- more meetings, have more meetings. One of the things I push back on uh, very, very strongly is like just increasing meetings to say that we're aligned. More meetings does not mean that you're more aligned. What you need to do is have regular meetings that have a structured uh, objective of why you're there. So if that's a weekly revenue team meeting, you are there to discuss you know, revenue pipeline, you to discuss the velocity of deals, whatever those things are for your business, but being very structured of not just the sales and marketing leader get together on Monday and talk and see what's going on for the week. No, what is our objective? So, um, you know, leaders want to break down silos in organizations, I and mean, that's been a common theme. But, you know, knowledge workers really need to isolate and focus and reach maximum cognitive performance to deliver elite-level knowledge work. So how do you structure the collaborative process to break down silos without interrupting individual solos? So I take a little bit of, I don't want to call it controversial approach, but uh, I think a little bit of a different approach than some people. I don't think that necessarily silos in and of themselves are bad. Uh, I call our stereotypical silos, when we think of them, I call them opaque silos. These are silos that are impenetrable. These are silos that are basically brick walls. We never interact. I think if we have silos, but we are able to ventilate them and really do the work that it takes to create this cross-functional breeze or cross-functional flow of information, they're very useful. You hit the nail on the head. There is something when you are a marketer or a salesperson that you gain from being around people that have similar skill sets that you can hone in on getting better at what you do. If you're on a cross-functional team, there's nobody else doing the same thing you do, you really basically are on an island, and, and it is harder to really harness your skill set and get feedback and think really thoughtfully. And sometimes you just want to, you know, get, a, get somebody on your team that also has the same skill set, and it's like, hey, help me think through this. Like, am I thinking through this right? No, you didn't think about this, or no, you didn't think about that. So there is benefit to being in a group. I think as leaders, what we have to do is we have to make sure that there is a cross-flow of information, a regular cross-flow. And even sometimes, you know, I advocate for creating, you know, many cross-functional teams. If there's an effort that we need to attack and we don't quite know how to do this as a team, create a small team, and whether it be temporary or whether it be one that lasts, um, you know, in, per- in perpetuity, but make the team cross-functional so that not only do those people start to build relationships, but they're starting to cross-pollinate ideas, and then they bring those ideas back to organizations. So that is really on leaders to be able to open up those silos uh, and make them more functional than uh, an opaque silo where nobody shares information at all. Let's talk for a minute about uh, about millennials. You know, we're, <laughs> we're in a, a selling environment now where, you know, more and more B2B buyers are millennials. Yeah. How should sellers adapt to the preferences of the B2B millennial buyer? I don't claim to be a millennial expert. There's a lot of folks um, much smarter than me that really focus on the millennial phenomena. I know sometimes they get a bad rap uh, that I think sometimes is unfair. But the the context that I bring it up in my book is that we have to recognize that more and more millennials are moving into leadership and are becoming a part of these buying committees in these organizations. And fundamentally, uh, marketing, I'm sorry, millennials are skeptical when sellers or salespeople make claims. 
And so we need to be thoughtful about the fact that they don't, don't want to just rely on what you say, but they also want proof. And social proof has a huge impact on how they perceive what you said. So it's one of those, you know, the, the old adage, you, not only can you say it, but you got you to show it. Uh, and if we don't recognize that and we rely on, you know, some old school tactics, we may be missing the mark with a good portion of that buying committee. So it's understanding that you, not only you have to, to know what we're talking about, but we have to have proof for it and then, so, and then show it uh, as well so that we can make sure that we're capturing uh, the trust of those millennials that are entering um, the leadership ranks and are becoming a part of those buying teams, buying committees. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, B2B buyers, you know, for as long as I can remember, have always wanted to talk to a subject matter expert before they engage a salesperson. And mm -hmm. in your book, you write that sales reps should be positioned as trusted advisors instead of traditional sales reps pushing a product. H how do you get sales reps to invest the time in becoming a subject matter expert when they're focused on quarterly sales quotas? Yeah, so there's a couple things we can unpack there. So uh, the one thing I want to talk about is that, you know, the traditional salesperson is the one that shows up and talks about feature benefits and tries to, to you know, push the, the buyer into buying the product or, and or, you know, listen to what they say and try to find an opportunity to map their product or solution onto what they said, right? That is over. Uh, that is over because the modern buyer has been empowered with basically unlimited access to information, people, and resources. There is a huge information inequality. They are coming to our, our conversation with many times much more information about us than we have about them. Unless you have a really advanced uh, organization that is really forward thinking and has all the capabilities that you need, the seller may have a name, an email, a position, a title, whereas the, the buyer comes to the table with knowing who you are on LinkedIn. They know about your company. They've, they've talked to friends about you and the product. They've, they've uh, gone on LinkedIn. All this stuff they've done before they've even talked to you. And so this is why we have to get out of the traditional sales model and move into being seen as a strategic business advisor that has a conversation about co-creating a solution. And so if you're going to co-create a solution with somebody, you're going to have to know a good deal about their business. And this is why I think the sales market relationship is really, really important. You are correct that sellers don't have an uh, uh, infinite amount of time to do research and become skilled at every single industry that they serve overnight. It's a lot of work. However, marketing is what they do. They understand the macros of the industries. So a really good relationship is, is marketing, being able to provide insights and talking points and, and intelligence to the sales teams so that they can really talk the language of the buyer in a way that is more than just a superficial, tell me about what's wrong with your business. And so that's why I think that alignment between those two teams is, is important because as you said, um, Sales people just have to know more, and the reality of things is they just have a lot coming at them, and without that support from marketing, um, it, it, it makes it much more challenging. But we absolutely have to do it. Buyers are expecting it, and they want you to know about their business before, before they interact with you, period. This has been part two in a three-part interview series with Jeff Davis, author of the new book, Create Togetherness. And at the end of the next episode, we're going to tell you how you can win a free copy of uh, Jeff's new book. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.